Well, get your Bibles open to Matthew 22. I'm going to be there just to set the stage for today. Last week, if you weren't with us, we talked about making sure you watch where you pitch your tent. And we use that pitching of the tent not to refer to the fact that some of you are camping this summer, although I imagine some of you are literally camping. But I've been sharing with you, you're going to go through lots of seasons in life. Can anybody that's been around a while just say amen to that? There's, there's lots of seasons. And, uh, and every time you go through a season, it's like you're pitching a tent. It's like, all right, God says you're going to camp out here. The Christian walk is, is not a sprint. You figured it out. It's a long-distance race. And even the children of Israel, they didn't race into the promised land. They had a little bit of time there in the wilderness where God was busting some things out of them, changing them, and fitting them for their inheritance. And how many of you figured out God's going to bust some things out of us? Uh, we're not quite ready just yet. Uh, we're getting shaped and ready uh, for something big that's happening. We're going to read about that in Matthew 22. But I compared two different people last week, and this is very important. First one was Lot. Lot was referred to in the Bible as a righteous man, but Lot didn't finish so well. The Bible says Lot took his tent and he pitched it facing Sodom. And you all know about Sodom. God had this to say about Sodom. He said, I'm not really happy with the people in Sodom. They focus and they dwell on wickedness continually, and it angered the heart of God. How many of you know sin angers God? Sinners don't anger God, but sin angers God. God loves sinners. He sent his son to die for sinners. Aren't you grateful for that? But sin angers God because sin destroys people made in the image of God. And God hates it when people continue to, to race on in, in rebelliousness against him and plunge themselves into all kinds of problems. He hates that. God said, you know what, I'm not liking what's going on there. But how many of you know Lot wasn't concerned with the atmosphere or the lifestyle of the people? Lot was looking at dollar signs. Because the valley there in which Sodom was located was a wealthy place. It was a prosperous place. And I just want to caution you, this is not an anti-prosperity church. It takes money to build buildings. It takes money to translate language stuff over in Vietnam. It takes money to live. God's not against resources. But how many of you know, you have to watch that you do not set your eyes and your focus on the wrong thing. The Bible says Lot was dwelling upon Sodom, and eventually, I shared with you last week, what you dwell on, you end up dwelling in. So what you set your focus on literally comes into your life, and the Bible says that Lot moved from simply with his tent outside, he ended up getting a condo inside. You know, that's a little bit of a jump. It's called putting some roots down. And by Genesis 19, he's not just living in the city, he's one of the leadership team of the city. Which means for you to get elected in a wicked city, it means you sold out along the way. So Lot went from gazing to being completely compromised in his life. And you all know this story, Lot ended up losing everything. Now we talked about Abraham on the other side. Abram, uh, the Bible says that he pitched his tent, but he did something different. He built an altar. He built an altar. Now, I want to encourage you. Everybody in this room is in a different, your tent's in a different place. Some of you, you're pitching your tent right now in a very low spot. It's life's, some of you have come here today because you're desperate. Some of you have come here today because you're, you're hurt, you're struggling, you're, you're trying to find your way back to the Lord. Maybe you've been off trail for a while. I don't know what your scenario is, but I want to give you a secret. Wherever you pitch your tent, build the altar. What does that mean, pastor? It means if you're in a very rough spot right now, 
Lift your hands to the Lord and begin to worship and thank God. If you're saying, man, I don't sense the Lord's presence. I feel far from God. Build yourself an altar and begin to worship the Lord. Get your eyes off of you. Get your eyes on him. If you're on the top of the mountain and things are going great and the sun is shining, hallelujah, build yourself an altar and worship the Lord because it's God's blessing on your life. If the wind's at your back and everything's going easy, pause for a moment, build yourself an altar, worship the Lord. If you're going in the valleys and you're dealing with health issues or challenges, you know what you do when the doctor says, hey, we're concerned over this, that, or the other thing. Build yourself an altar, right, Dr. Brent? Build an altar in the in the doctor's office. You can build an altar in his office. He'll worship with you, but worship the Lord over whatever it was that was shared over your life. Don't look at the circumstances. Be an altar builder. Center your life around loving Jesus and honoring him and watch how God blesses you. You remember Abraham went the low road. Lot was saying, oh man, I only saw dollar signs. I'll take this area right here. He already had dreams of big things. And, and remember the herdsmen were fighting and everything. And, and, and Abraham says, you know what? This is silly. Why are we fighting over stuff? This is for somebody today. Why are we fighting over stuff? Why are we fighting over material things? He said, look, why don't you take whatever you want? He, Abraham lived his life with his hands open. Everybody do this to me this morning. Wave at me this way, all right? This is so good. What do you need? Here, if I can help you. Hey, you choose. No, you choose. I'm going to go lower. You choose. Hands open. Hands open. How many of you know Abraham inherited everything, Lot lost everything? What do you want to do? Abraham went low and said, you know, we shouldn't be fighting like this. We're God's people living in a, in a strange land. We shouldn't be fighting like this. This is not good for God's glory or God's reputation. We're going to go low and, uh, and, and I'm going to give you your, give you the choice. And again, look at the results. Do you want to live like Lot and lose everything? Or do you want to be generous and open-hearted and trust the Lord? And you remember what happened to Abram. God said, come on with me. We're going to go for a walk. I want you to look around everywhere as far as your eye can see. It's yours. And that was a picture again of our inheritance in Christ Jesus. Why are we fighting over stuff? Why are we fighting over things, cars and houses and lands and everything else? Come on, let's just trust the Lord with these things. Let's, let's, let's be generous. Let's live with our hands wide open and watch what God's doing. We've been sharing how this body is a tent. It's going to fade away. The world around us is a tent. It's, it's fading away. We're pilgrims. We're on a journey here in this life. Everything around us, including ourselves, this physical body anyway, is temporary, it's momentary, and it's not lasting. So here's the deal I want to deal with today. Where's this journey taking us? Because if you don't have a powerful vision of where you're going, you'll lose motivation along the way and you won't finish well. Anybody know what I'm talking about? In other words, if you're trying to lose weight this summer, which is a good thing, lose weight, be more healthy... Unless you have a vision of the skinny you and all the benefits of the skinny you, you ain't getting there. Because you're going to take lots of bunny trails between the skinny you that you can't see very well and the real you uh, along the way. It's the same thing. You've got to have a vision for where you're going and you've got to see the benefit of it before you have any kind of motivation to stay on course. So here's a question I'm going to ask you. Where is this thing headed? Where is this journey called life taking us? I'm going to give you the answer. We're going to a wedding celebration. And who's getting married, you ask? I'm glad you asked. You are. You are the bride. 
Now, every guy in here just groaned because we, don't, we cannot get our minds around that. But I want you to hold on to that thought for a minute because we're not going to picture guys in dresses. That's not a good thought. That's not a biblical thought. But how about this? If you were in battle, Joe, you're in battle, you're in the trenches, you love everybody on your squad, I mean, bullets are flying, you guys are risking your life for one another, and the guy in, your tr- in the trenches with you dives on a gr- grenade and takes, takes that explosion into his own body, killing himself, and he did it for you so that you could live, would there not be a sense of gratitude in your heart to be reunited with that person so that you could give him a hug and say, thank you for taking my place, for dying in my stead so I could have life? Absolutely there would be. That's what I want every guy in this room to be thinking of, not your white dress, but thinking about somebody who died so that you could live and you finally get a chance to look them in the face and say, thank you for the incredible sacrifice that you paid so that I could live my life. That's what I'm talking about. Take a look here, Matthew 22, verse 2. Jesus is talking here, and he's teaching us about what his kingdom is like. And in verse 2, it says this. The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. If you want to understand the nature of Christianity, Pastor Aaron was hitting on it, Pastor Dick was hitting on it. The essence of Christianity is simply this. God is getting ready to prepare a bride that his son can enjoy forever. This whole thing called Christianity is about relationship. In fact, Revelation 19 says it this way. uh, we're, We're moving toward the wedding feast of the Lamb. The wedding feast of the Lamb. All of human history is culminating in a wedding celebration. Now, why would God reveal His truth in that kind of way? And what's, what's the power, again, of a wedding? Well, let me go to Paul here. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, and I'm going to cover some ground here quickly this morning, so get those fingers up. And the, my uh, PowerPoints are not very thorough because I was gone all week, so I gave a very brief one. So you've got to do some work this morning because the Scriptures will not all be up there. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2. Paul is speaking here. He says, I have betrothed you. In other words, I, you're engaged. You are promised to one husband whose name is Jesus. The New Living Translation says it this way, I'm jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. Because Paul says, I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. John called himself the friend of the the bridegroom. Paul here is speaking as a spiritual dad and he's saying, look, and I'm going to bring it right down to our level today. As a spiritual leader, he's saying this, every one of us should burn with single-minded devotion for Jesus. What is the job of spiritual leadership in the church? It's to make sure that we all make it. It's to make sure that we're all ready for the wedding. It's to make sure that every one of us is growing in our walk with God. Are you all with me this morning? And Paul says, I have a holy jealousy for Jesus that not a one of us will get distracted with loving other things more than Jesus himself. Why? Because here's the deal. The minute you said yes to Christ, the minute you bowed your knee to him, the minute you said, Jesus, I repent of my sins, come into my life, Lord, take control of my life, what happened at that moment? You became engaged to Jesus Christ. You became betrothed to Christ. He asked you, will you marry me? You said, I do. Guess what? All this waiting is the wedding celebration, the wedding uh, of the Lamb, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Every one of you in this room engaged to Christ if you bowed your knee to him. Am I speaking to the right crowd? Got the ring to prove it, all right? What's the ring? It's the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit is the down payment of what's to come. The Holy Spirit is God's kiss from heaven. Uh, it's, like the, it's, like the, it's like the will you marry me, Holy Spirit, I do. Y'all with me? If you're born again, you've got the spirit of, of Jesus living inside of you. And it's the same spirit of Christ. And, and it's the same spirit that woos us to him. In fact, what's the job of the Holy Spirit? To reveal Jesus to us. Why? So that when we gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, our hearts become full of passion for God and our eyes become focused in on pursuing him. Y'all, am I talking to the right crowd this morning? That's what it means to be a Christian. So when we talk about this language of, of wedding, uh, we're talking about stuff like, you know, and I just got to say, this, I love doing weddings because weddings, even the most gorgeous wedding is just a shadow of what's, what's coming, all right? I love the expression of the bridegroom when his bride makes her entry. And he, he's not looking at anybody. Hey, did, did Aunt Susie show up? Or did, you know, Uncle Fred show up? Oh, no, no, no. He doesn't really care at that moment. <laughs> Sometimes their knees are shaking. Sometimes they're starting to sweat. Sometimes they're laughing. Sometimes the tears well up in their eyes. And when I look at these guys, you know, with anticipation, can you imagine what's going on in the heart of Jesus when he looks at you and I? Can you imagine the, the, the blood that he shed, the life that he lived for you and me so that he could be with us forever? There's a, there's a welling up in the heart of Jesus of holy passion over your life. Do you realize that's what he feels for you this morning? If he was standing on this stage and looking out here this morning, his heart would be beating fast with love for you. That's pretty awesome. It speaks of, it speaks of passion. It speaks of covenant loyalty when he says, I will love you forever. And he means it. This is good stuff. It speaks of purity. That he's not two-timing his bride. And guess what? Spiritual idolatry and spiritual adultery is when we two-time Jesus in our hearts. It's when we allow, like, like Lot, the carnality of the world, lust of our eyes, lust of our flesh, please me, please me, please me, pride of life. It's all about me. I'm the center of the world. Uh, when we allow carnality into that relationship, we're, we're in a sense two-timing the Lord Jesus Christ. We're loving other things more than we love him. God hates that. The Holy Spirit hates that. Paul hated that. That's why he said, I, I burn with the holy jealousy that you not become that way. That's why when we're talking about the end of this journey is a wedding, every person in this room that's ever experienced any kind of romance or, or passion in their heart for somebody else can capture the essence of Christianity. It is certainly a relationship uh, with certain truths that we believe, but at, at its core, it is a fiery heart of passion for the Son of God. And the sooner you understand this world around us is our bridal chamber. Pastor, what is a bridal chamber? The bridal chamber is where the bride prepares herself for the big day. When a woman is engaged to be married, there begins to be a shift that takes place in her mind. And I was, I was grilling my wife. When we were doing a lot of traveling this week back and forth to South Bend. And I was grilling my wife. I said, honey, when I asked you, you know, to marry me, um, did you start thinking differently? Did you, did you start making plans? Did you start looking ahead to the future? And how's this for a cool answer? She said, oh, I started thinking that way long before you ever asked me to marry you. Come on. That got me fired up. I had to almost pull off the side of the road and just kiss her a little bit. I got so excited about that. She was like, 
She's like, I was already anticipating because here's the deal. When I asked her to marry me and she said yes, she began realizing that the home she grew up in, which was a great home, a wonderful home, that that was no longer home any longer because somebody was going to come and sweep her off of her feet and take her to a new home and establish a new place. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So her focus wasn't behind her. Her focus was on where she was going because she's now betrothed. She's starting to think like a married woman. She's starting to dream. She's starting to plan her new home together. She's starting to change her perspective. Check this out. Everything in her life started to be viewed through a bridal perspective, a bridal lens, a bridal paradigm, because everything's changing. She's getting ready for the wedding day. Paul said this in Colossians 3, 1 and 2. Since you have been raised to new life with Jesus Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. In other words, check this out. A bride-to-be is not focusing on beautifying her tent. She's focusing on beautifying herself. Well, pastor, what do you mean by that? Obviously, I'm not talking about physical tense. Obviously, hear me, I'm not talking about put, you know, throw your makeup down the toilet. That's not what I'm saying. Curling irons. No, we're, this is the church that's against curling irons. Trust me. I would use one if I could, but I, we're for all right? In fact, I could tell you a story. When I actually had bangs, I burnt them all off because I was trying to make them go that way. And I had a big blister on my forehead. I was never trained in curling irons. Um, thank God. But anyway, I'm not against curling irons. I'm not against facelifts. I'm not against trying to look as good as we can. Hallelujah. But listen to me. It's about focus. The focus is not on this tent. Because this tent is not sticking around the way that it currently is very long. Now, check it out. Who wrote the book of Colossians under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost? Paul. And what did Paul do for a living? He was a tent maker. Whoa, check this out. This is, this is insightful. Paul was a tent maker. Now he didn't open up, you know, Acme tent making company. He wasn't a, he wasn't a tent manufacturer. He was a tent repairer because tents that get used a lot need to be repaired. Now check this out with me. The same man who said, don't focus on your tent Focus on heavenly things. He embodies what it means to be a tent maker. Because listen, at the end of the day, all of us are tent makers. Well, what's a tent maker? A tent maker is somebody who does what they need to do to make the resources that they need to make to pay for houses. How many of you know houses are good? I prefer houses to sleeping in the field any day. Microwaves are good. Comforts of home, good. Cars, Some of you, I'm grateful we're not tying up our tent outside. We're not doing that. We're driving a car, all right? Not on this property. We don't need more work to do, all right? You with me? All right, so all those things are good. We're not anti-material things, but we are anti-materialism. We're anti-focusing our energies on a tent instead of focusing your energies on you so you're getting ready for where you're going. You're in bridal preparation. Every Every person in this room that works a job that gets a paycheck, you're a tent maker. You need to shift your thinking. 
You don't live for your job. You don't live for your career. Your career helps you exist so that you can do what God's called you to do. What you do nine to five isn't who you are. It's not your identity. Your identity is you're a son or daughter of the Most High God, and what you do nine to five simply helps you live so that you can, in Him, live and move and have your being and be a blessing to people on this planet. Your identity isn't in what you do. You're a tent maker. Every one of us, you're tent makers. We do what we have to do to free up the time to love people, to love our families, to care for our our basic needs so that we can direct our focus on where we're going. That's why people, workaholics, what's the problem with a workaholic? You're stinking investing your life in a tent. You're a workaholic. You're not working for a greater purpose. You're working for a tent. And I don't care how nice it is, it's a tent. You're missing the purpose of your calling. You're missing the purpose of your identity. The job is just to provide for your needs so you can be a blessing to others and do what God has called you to do. It's very important. You know, there's this, there's this phenomenon now called glamping. Have any of you heard that term? It's new since 2006. Glamping. It's a mixture of two words. Glamour and camping. It's glamping. Glamour camping. Now, let me, I just got to say this. Okay, I'm just using this as a metaphor. If I had my choice between everyday camping and glamping, I'm a glamper. All right, I'm just telling you. I'm a glamper. But these glamper people, they're funny because you're out in the middle of nowhere, but you got like a high-powered generator to power your big screen TV, your microwave, your video games, your refrigerator. Oh, you're glamping, all right? You're sleeping out under the stars with the buzz of your generator in the background. Are you kidding me? Watching the news and being irritated. How many of you know that's not why most people go camping? You go camping to get away. You travel light. Oh, not glampers. They got these pods that people build up in a tree. It's like an apartment, like a, a condo for a squirrel up in a tree. And man, you got the view, but it's air conditioning. And you got a king-size bed up in your tree pod. I mean, if I'm going to go camping, count me in right there. Put me up in a squirrel condo. Come on. That's what I want to be. But how many of you figured out, if this is a journey, glamping is not what we've been called to. The glamping Christian is all about all the comforts of the world, and God forbid you ever ask him to sacrifice. Are you kidding me? Sweat while we camp? Lay on the ground? Are you kidding me? There's no microwave. There's no convection oven. I'm not going there. Are you kidding? You're a glamper. You're a Christian glamper. And you're pathetic. Christian glamper. There's no such thing. When the bride goes into preparation, she is separated from the bridegroom. She endures sacrifice. She endures separation. She endures all these things. Why? Because her mind is set on where she's going. She's not camping out here. Now check this out. Imagine we got the whole wedding. I'm standing here and there's the groom and all the, all of the groomsmen over here, the, the, the maid of honor and the whole entourage. And we're waiting. We're waiting. We're looking back there. No bride. Groom pulls out his phone. Hey, 
where are you? I am standing here at the altar. Where are you? And she said, oh, I'm sorry on the way here. I decided to go camping a little bit. And I was in the mountains. And oh, my gosh, it's so beautiful up here. It's awesome. And, um, and you know, I put my tent up. And then I decided, you know what? This would be a great place to dig an in-ground pool right on the backside of my tent. You know, the guys are coming out soon. I'll be with you just a second. I'll meet you at the altar. Are you kidding me? That's a glamper. That's somebody who got lost in the woods and forgot why they're here or where they're going. Here's the big idea. This tent world that we live in is perfectly designed to prepare us for a wedding. Our focus should be on beautifying ourselves and not beautifying our tents, getting ourselves ready. Look at Revelation 19. Everybody turn there. Revelation 19, verse 7. Let us be glad. Boy, there's Pastor Dick's word. Be glad and rejoice and give honor to Jesus. Why? Because the time has come. There is a time coming. There is a wedding coming. What is the time? It's for the wedding feast of the Lamb. And check this out. His bride has prepared herself. She's ready. She's ready for action. You know, I was joking around this morning that my kids loved going to grandma because grandma had jiggles. Y'all know what jiggles are? Jiggles are that part under your arm that used to be your tricep and now it is a a flap (laughs) to put it in the male version guys it's like we used to be Rocky Balboa and now when we age we become Rocky the squirrel you know you remember that cartoon my kids would always oh grandma let us feel your jiggles And my mom would laugh and, oh, they flap it back and forth. (laughs) And you know, if you get up on a hill and you jump, you can fly. All right, I'm telling you. That's because, listen to me, your tent is wearing out. You can spend all your time in tent repair, or you can spend some more time focusing on what really matters, which is your internal beauty and glory. Hear me again, I am not talking about looking as good as we can on the outside. I'm talking about putting greater emphasis on who you are. Now, I'm going to close with a couple of stories. Pastor Dick and Susie introduced us on a trip to China to some very special people. Some of you have heard this story. I'm going to give you the shortened version. But we went in and we had the privilege of meeting with a pastor over the underground church in China, overseeing millions of believers And this meeting took place in a back room of a restaurant, and I knew it was serious because as soon as we got in, one of his guys grabbed the chair and pushed it under the doors and wedged it in so that that the doors would not be open. And we're in communist China with an underground church pastor, both of them in their 90s. When they were newlyweds, I, I try to put myself in these shoes, newlyweds. That's when the the revolution was taking place with Mao. And one of the first things, and I want you to hear this, one of the first things that Mao did was he realized we have to deal with the church, with all these Christian people. And so we're going to have to give them the shortened version of the Bible. Well, what did he take out? He took out all the references to anything supernatural. How many know that's taken out a lot of your Bible? All the references to the second coming of Jesus. Why would they take that out? Well, maybe because knowing that Christ is going to return changes the way we live now. 
And anyway, this pastor said, he said, you're going to do all these things basically or else. And this pastor said, you're not going to uh, basically edit the Bible, the Word of God. I'm going to preach the Scriptures, and I'm, I'm not going to preach a counterfeit gospel. That man was sentenced to 10 years in hard labor. Newlyweds, just b- barely celebrating the, the, you know, the end of the honeymoon, and now your husband's going off for 10 years to serve in hard labor. Now, this is the beauty of it. This woman waited for her man till his court uh, date came up. And, of course, the courts are ridiculous in countries like that. There is no justice. And just arbitrarily, the judge said, you know what? You're getting 10 more years for nothing. This man spent 20 years in hard labor simply out of bridal fidelity. He would not cheat on his Savior he would not cheat on his wife. Imagine waiting for your husband for 20 years and being faithful. This is the couple we were sitting next to. In John Piper's book called Future Grace, I'll close with this. It's a great book. I encourage you, if you haven't read it, to read it. But he talks about a lady by the name of Evelyn Harris Brand. She grew up in a well-to-do English family. She stuttered. Stuttered. <laughs> no, she didn't stutter. She studied. I stuttered. She studied at the London. Hey, I'm getting an upgrade. I'm not going to have to deal with this forever. And what's between my ears forever? I'm getting an upgrade, and so are you. So laugh all you want, okay? My tent. She studied at the London Conservatory of Art and dressed in the finest silks. She went with her husband to minister as missionaries in the mountain ranges of India to some very unreached and, and difficult-to-reach people. After about 10 years, her husband died at the age of 44, so very young man. After a year's recuperation in England, she returned and poured her life into the hill people until she was 95. Check this out. She lived in a portable hut, 8 feet square, sounds like a tent to me, that could be taken down and moved. Her son, Paul, who was a famous uh, surgeon, often went over to India with her and did all kinds of great work as a surgeon. This is what he said about his mom. With wrinkles as deep and extensive as any I have seen ever on a human face, she was a beautiful woman. But it was not the beauty of the silk and heirlooms of London High Society. For the last 20 years of her life, she refused to have a mirror in her house. She was consumed with ministry, not mirrors. My message isn't, go smash all your mirrors. My message isn't, don't focus on being the most beautiful you you can be. My focus is this. At the end of the day, it's not about mirrors. It's not about you gazing at your own reflection It's about gazing into the beauty of the Lord. It's about being captivated by the greatness of God. It's about letting your heart being uh, ravished with the love of Christ for you. Whether it's the love of a soldier who, who lays his life down and gives his life freely for another soldier like Jesus did on the cross for us. Maybe men can grasp that a little bit better. Or is it not the love that the Savior has that he would die for you, rescue you from your sin, and then woo you to spend eternity loving him and enjoying his presence forever? Shatter your spiritual mirrors 
the sooner we get our attention off of us, my needs, my wants, my desires, blah, 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 and get our eyes on Jesus. You know, I just had a great discussion with my daughter who was struggling a little bit. She said, you know, Dad, um, I'm just struggling with expectations. How many of you know when you have, it's good to have expectations on what God is going to do especially if they're expectations for others. In other words, if, I, if I'm praying for Bill for healing, I'm believing and expecting God's going to heal Bill. How many of you know that's a good expectation? I'm going to pray and believe, and I'm going to lay Bill in God's hands. But here's a bad expectation. I'm going to come to church, and I have the expectation that God is going to rock me. Why is that a bad expectation? Because you're, you're putting your, your uh, sense of what, how God's supposed to act with you in a box, and you're saying, if God's not going to do this for me today, then I'm going to leave all downcast. How many of you know you just made the focus of your expectation you? Let me just tell you how this works in your marriage. Guys, you know all about this because we're great with putting expectations on our wives. Well, I expect her, Sometimes we don't even verbalize these things. Well, I expect this, I expect this, and I expect this, and then we stand back and watch. Oh, she didn't do it. Now I'm going to pout. I'm going to be mad. I'm going to be upset. Well, why? Because you didn't live up to my expectations. How many know those are bad expectations? Your wife wants you to just love her for who she is. Well, guess what? Our expectation needs to be in the Lord for God to do what he needs to do in me to make me fit and ready for spending eternity with him. Every single thing in this life, I want you to get this, every single thing you go through, it's not about the thing you're going through, it's about how you're responding to what you're going through. The what you're going through is a myriad of different things. Usually we use something like this, hey, Chris, do you have a good week? One answer, yes, no, or sometimes you say great in faith, but you're lying because it really wasn't great. Um, you were depressed. Uh, you know, you didn't want to get out of bed. Guess what? It wasn't the week. We should really say, you know what? How has Christ transformed you to look more like him this week? Sometimes he does it through gratitude because it was a great week. Have you ever just pot? We were coming home yesterday from South Bend. The sun was shining over these rolling Indiana cornfields, and it was spectacular. I told Marion, look at that. She pulls out her phone. What are we doing? We're taking God's selfies. Glory, 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 glory. Woo! There's something about beauty that causes us to just be filled with awe and wonder. Isn't that awesome? But guess what? Sometimes you're going through a hellhole. And you're not taking your camera out. You're trying to get through as fast as you can. But you know what? You're going through it. And if you'll build an altar in worship, there'll be something of the glory of God that will come off of your spirit. There's transformation taking place. Is what I'm trying to say. Some of you are going through hell right now. What is God trying to do in you? How is what you're going through changing your perspective so that there's a more beautiful you coming out. Have you ever noticed when people get old, one of two things happens. Either they get bitter and nasty and crotchety, or they get sweet. Bitter, nasty, crotchety. If they got a cane, they'll whack you with it when, they, when you walk by. I mean, sometimes they say, oh, look at that sweet, dear, elderly person. No, that's like Hitler with a cane. They're nasty. Just because you're old doesn't mean you get nicer. Some people get old and they get nastier. But some people get old 
And you know what? Instead of you know cursing the challenges that they face, instead of bad-mouthing everything, instead of focusing on the tent, ah, my tent just doesn't work the way it used to. Man, my, my thingy's broken. My zipper broke on my tent. And man, my old tent. It's a tent. The real you is in here. The real you is going to live forever. The real you is going to get a tent that's never going to have a broken zipper for God's sake. Those are the things we focus on. So in the midst of the challenge, how about this? We get sweeter with age. We get more patient in affliction and challenge. We learn to love deeply even though we've been through a lot. And you know, I love sitting around people that have the fragrance of Jesus on their lives. There's nothing sweeter. Pastor Dick in that meeting with these 90-year-old saints asked me if I would pray for them. And I'm thinking, God help me. I've had revival just from sitting next to these people. I couldn't even work my chopsticks, but I'm feeling the glory of God in that room because of the people I'm sitting next to. 90 years of pitching tents and concentration camps, of separation, of hardship, and see the love that they had for each other and the love that they had for Jesus. And I couldn't even hear it because of the language barriers, but I'll tell you what, I just looked at them and I felt it. And in my heart, I was just like, this is the way I want to end my life. I want to be sweet. I want to be patient. I want to be humble. I want to be teachable. I want to have encounters with God that have changed my life. I want to be a lover of Jesus to the end. I want to be enthralled by the beauty of the Lord. I want to live a life that matters. I don't want to look in the mirror all my life. I want to live my life for others all my life. Anybody with me on this? This this is what we're talking about. People that live for others are happy people. I want to have the furrows. I've got the good hate forehead. My grandpa's name was Hate, H-A-I-G-H-T, not H-A-T-E. He was, a, he was not a hater, but he was a hate. He had deep furrows on his brow. I used to look at those furrows, and now I realize I've inherited those same furrows. My kids have seen them in moments of disciplinary action. But don't you want your face to be weathered with a good kind of emotion? Tears that you've wept on behalf of others. Joy that you've had in your heart where you've sung so hard, sung so loudly that you could hardly contain yourself. Laughter. You know, people that smile a lot get wrinkles. Smile a lot. Get lots of wrinkles. Big wrinkles, crow wrinkles, whatever wrinkles they call. Get wrinkles for the glory of God. You're getting an upgrade that's going to be spectacular. I'm going to see Dirk with his glorified body. I'm going to go, dude, is that you? No way. And then I'm going to look at myself. Check this out. Yeah. And then we're going to just hug each other for a while. And, and But we won't be all that enthralled because guess what? Everybody's getting the upgrade. Probably all going to look spectacular together. But that's what I'm looking forward to. And I just want to encourage you. Most of the time, we don't long for what's coming because we have a lousy view of heaven. We did about a 15-week series here on heaven. I want to encourage some of you. There's a great book by Randy Alcorn. It's got this big, long title. You ready? Write it down. Heaven. All right? Randy Alcorn. Heaven. 
and it's thick because he took the time to unearth the glory that awaits us. And I'm telling you what, when I was a younger man, I wasn't excited about heaven. I was like, let's just hold that off as long as we can. But I'll just tell you what, I'm incredibly excited for what awaits. I truly am excited. I want to see as many people going with me. How about you? We, we want to populate heaven and plunder hell as long as we can, are on this planet. But I'm telling you, it's going to be awesome. So you know what? Let's, be, let's burn with purity for Jesus. Let's, let's stay on the highway of holiness. Let's not be carnal. Let's, let's pitch our tent facing the wedding celebration that's ahead of us. And uh, in the meantime, let's see how many people we can get joining us Love being lovers of Jesus for that big celebration. It's not going to be empty. It's going to be packed to the hill as we celebrate Jesus, our bridegroom king. So stand to your feet with me. I want to pray for you. We're leaving here today to go out to our mission field. Let's go love people, touch people. If you need prayer this morning, come on down. If you don't know Christ, we'd love to pray with you. If you need healing in your body, come on down. We want to fight with you for, for healing. If you need any kind of prayer today, we love you. We're glad that you're here. If you need encouragement, you just need a hug. You need a smile, whatever you need. We've got people here at the altar that will be ministering to you, all right? Father, in the name of Jesus, ignite our hearts with holy passion for your son. And Lord, may, as we leave here today, may there be a, a joy in our spirits. God, may we get our eyes off maybe what we came in here with. And Lord, help us to set our focus on you. Father, whatever it is that we go through this week, we know that you're training us to be like Jesus. So, Lord, we embrace it, and we thank you for it. And we give you all the praise now for what you're going to do. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen. Hey, marriage class at four. If you need prayer, come on down. All right, blessings.